0: We are in Luke chapter 6, um, we're, we're, we're doing true story and this is, it's amazing how this section we're going to be in ties into, into the Easter story. Let me just admit to you right up front that we're biting off way more scripts than we should so I'm going to try to go fast and then let you just kind of talk to Jesus about the particulars and he'll, he'll make aware to you what you need to know, like help you apply it, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just going to, we're going to blitz like from 27 to 49. But let me just ask you if you've noticed this, and please, I don't mean anything offensive to anybody in the room, but have you noticed there's some things you can't cover up? Ugly, being one of them, right? Like, no matter how much makeup you use. um, What about this? Um, How many of you parents have or remember having middle school boys in your house? Raise your hand. I don't care what the TV commercials say, no amount of acts, no amount of Acts is covering up the funky smell of a seventh-grade boy, right, if he does not take a shower after P.E. Like, there's a smell in the classroom after P.E., and it's not a good smell. Teachers, can I get an amen? Amen. It's not a good smell, and it's because they don't have time for the shower, and they have been dripping sweat. We were watching the Hornets play last night, and Wendy walked past the TV, and she saw Al Jefferson shooting free throws, and she looked at me, and she said, I think he sweats more than you. And I said, well, well, he's playing in a professional sport right now. she said, still, you sweat a lot. And I do, right? It's like I'm going to preach with my arms down. <laughs> it's just the way it is. I mean, I'm not as bad as that one coach, right? Did you see that guy from Arizona? Holy smokes. Changed shirts at halftime and still got wet. Anyway, like there's things you can't cover up, and that smell, like acts, not going to do it. You can, you can wash off, put on new clothes. At some point, that funky smells going to come back in. And, um, in fact... Sometimes the cover-up makes what you're covering up worse. The cover-up is worse than what you're covering up. Um, some of you will not remember these, but I'm going to just throw them out there anyway. In the 70s, I was just a wee lad in the 70s. Some of you remember Watergate, right? Watergate became a huge scandal because the cover-up was what made it worse. Um, how many of you ever drove a Ford Pinto? Anybody? So I was, I was researching, like, really bad cover-ups. Ford Pintos, when, <laughs> Ziggy, man, you're flirting with death all the time. Um, Ford Pintos, when they first came out, they had this, this, this defect in the back of a Ford, Ford Pinto. If you had a rear-end collision, the fuel would start to, like, go everywhere, and it would explode. So Ford found out about this as it's in production, and Ford, I'm not trying to rag Ford. I'm sure any other place would do it. But Ford made this decision from their legal team. They found out that it would, it would save them, it was going to cost them $11 a car to fix the problem. But instead of spending $11 a car to fix the problem, they decided it would save them $70 million to leave the defect in the Ford Pinto. I think the Ford Pinto was the defect, but whatever. Leave the defect in the Ford Pinto and just pay the legal fees of people that got burned. So the first case that went to trial, they awarded the person $125 million. Later, that got reduced to $3 million, which I'm sure made the legal people at Ford happy. But it cost him so much money going forward, and publicity and, and trust from the public was crushed. It just The cover-up was worse. A couple more. Um, in the 80s, anybody remember um, Chernobyl? Took Russia three weeks to say something happened. The cloud should have given it away. Like satellite imagery, right? It's crazy. I'm um, in the 90s, and, and please, this is about Catholics. I'm not knocking Catholics, but in the 90s, remember the cover-up of the priests? I mean, that, that was like from the 90s into the new millennium. It took forever. Like they're just every time you turn on the news, like another Roman Catholic priest was being turned in for, for indecent acts with, with kids. And it's crazy, the things that we cover up. In. And those are terrible, but I found a picture of the worst cover-up of all time. I, can't, I don't know what it says, because I think it's written in Spanish or gibberish, but um, I'm assuming that was her boyfriend or somebody close to her until he wasn't, and she went to the tattoo artist and said, could you please fix this, and his idea was a black square. Okay, that's a terrible cover-up. Sometimes I think maybe for some of us, we think of Easter as a cover-up, right? Right? So I'm going to go to church, and if you're here for the first time in a year, it's great to have you. Hope you come back next week. We're exactly the same next week as we are today. But sometimes I think we treat Easter as a cover-up. We're like, well, this is my week. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to try to cover up all the stuff by going to church. I think it's interesting that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which back in the day when he was resurrected, they had a cover-up to try to cover up that. Just tell people they stole the body. We're always trying to cover up, but I want you to know this. At the resurrection, Jesus blows the cover off of cover-ups. They couldn't cover it. up the fact that there was an empty tomb. <laughs> they were spraying acts everywhere, weren't they? And it's like, we still smell this seventh grade stink. What's going on? We couldn't cover it up. They couldn't cover it up. We know this, that Jesus is alive what I want you to know today is, is that he's more than just alive. He's doing more than just raising you to life, he's giving you new life. We know that we're raised. Ephesians 2, 6 tells us that we've been raised with Christ. But what we're gonna see in Luke chapter 6, this last half of the Beatitudes, the sermon of the Sermon on the Mount, is that we don't have, we're not just raised to life, we're given new life. And so he takes from verses. 27 all the way to 49, and he starts talking about like, here's what this new life looks like. Here's what it looks like. Don't we love new stuff? Like the new car smell? Like, I I would like to have a new car with a new car smell, right? But I'm so thankful that they sell for like a buck fifty the can of new car smell. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, we love new smells so much, they have a can that you can buy to spray in your old car full of all the candy wrappers and McDonald's wrappers, and it'll suddenly smell like a new car. And you're like, I got a new car. You close your eyes, and then you crank it up. You're like, no, nah, same car, right? <laughs> they, they did a study in Canada. They found out this, that the smell of a new baby to moms is like a hit on drugs. I mean, they, they're just, something happens. They, they studied their brain. They stu- all this stuff, and they just, like, when, when a mom holds or just smells, like, I don't know how you get a new baby smell in the can, but, like, they smell a new baby. Something happens in their brain. It's like a hit on drugs. It's powerful, right? And you already know this is true because some of you are new parents, and you're like, you got that baby. And you're just like, mm, I love that new, ooh, that's not a new smell. You change them, right? <laughs> it's like, that's. That is nasty. That's that's an old car smell there. Somebody fix that. There's something about new. We love new. And the power of the resurrection isn't just that Jesus can raise us to life, but that he can give us a new life. And isn't that what we want? I, I don't know about you. I don't want to dust off my old life. I don't want to try to be better. I want to start new. I want new. And Jesus, he understood that. Easter holds the promise that Jesus can make all things new. This is not about trying to make a better go at being a better person. So here in Luke 6, um, he gives us, these are these marks. So he says, look, I'm going to give you a new life. I'm I'm, I'm risen from the dead. Um, I'm the the king, and you're going to be my child, and you're going to be my follower. And if you're my follower, here's some things that are going to mark your life, okay? You ready? I'm just going to spit them out there. We're going to go as quick as we can. Go find Easter eggs in the rain. Verse 27. Here's the first mark. This first mark. This is what your life will look like. If you're following Jesus, your life will be marked by these things. Now, if I say these six things, there's six just so you know. You already know the first one. So if I say these six things and you're like, my life doesn't have that, you, this is the day to start asking yourself, am I following Jesus? Right? These are not requirements. It's not like Jesus said, hey, look. You do these six things, and you're in the Jesus club. We'll call it the J club, right? If you do these six things, you're in. He said, no, 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 no. It's not like that at all. If you're in the club, you will do these six things. These will mark your life. People will just watch your life and go, man, I, I see these marks in your life. That guy must be following Jesus, right? That's what he was saying. So here we go. Number one is love. Not love the feeling, but love The choice, a love that is so different from the love that the world knows. Um, Look at verse 32. Because he's going to talk about loving people that we don't really want to love. He says in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. What he's saying is like the worst of the worst know how to be good to the people who are good to them. But Jesus drops a bomb. He says, if you're following me, you're not just going to love people. You're going to love people that don't love you. You're going to love your enemies. And I would imagine at that point he went total rapper. He was like, your enemies, 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 enemies. He's like, make sure sure you hear me, right? Because they're like, do what? Love my who? Isn't it amazing I, I talk about counseling all the time. It's not, counseling's not bad. It's good to go to counseling if you need it. But we go to counseling to try to learn how to love the people that love us. Jesus says if we're his followers, we will love our enemies. We're not, maybe not even ready for that level, right? Everybody wants to level up. I'm not sure we're ready to level up. We haven't figured out how to love people that are nice to us. If I could just, just help me just love my spouse. But they love you, I think, Right? Jesus says, love your enemies. We've got to learn how to love our enemies. I love the story. It was um, in Broken Bow, Nebraska, there was this truck driver. He was tired. He pulls his rig into this all-night truck stop. So he goes inside. The waitress comes up, serves him. And then these three tough dudes come walking in. They're looking at him. They're laughing. They're making fun of him. They ride motorcycles. Um, They're kind of like Hell's Angels people. You know what I'm talking about? Real nice people. So they decided to give him a hard time. So he's sitting there trying to eat his his meal. They give him a hard time. Not only did they verbally abuse him, one of them grabbed the hamburger off his plate, another one took a handful of his French fries. This feels like junior high, doesn't it? The third one picked up his coffee and began to drink it. How would you respond in that moment? Here's what the trucker did. He didn't respond at all. He rose, picked up his check, walked to the front of the room, paid his bill. Walked out, got in his car, in his truck, cranked it up. The waitress walked over, put the money in the till, stood watching the door at the door as the big truck driver drove away. When she returned, one of the bikers said to her, Well, he's not much of a man, is he? And she replied, I don't know about that, but he sure ain't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on the way out of the parking lot. (laughs) So that, that's how we love our enemies, right? That's kind of more typical of what we do with our enemies. But Jesus reveals three ways. He said, love your enemies. And so while, while the people listening, his disciples, while they're scratching their heads going, love my who, my what, my, the, my enemies? They can't even process who they're supposed to love, let alone how they're supposed to do it. So Jesus gave them three ways, practical ways to love their enemies. He said, do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. None of those are feelings. They're just choices, right? They're choices. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. All actions of the will, none of them feelings of the heart. I mean, if we're following Jesus, he says this, if you're my disciple, you will be marked by love for your enemies. And in the Greek, this is agape, right? This is not man's kind of love. This isn't the kind of love we work up. This is agape love. This is from God through us to them. You're marked by that. Think about this. Who's your enemy? Who is it that when you close your eyes and don't, you know, don't think about somebody in another country. I mean, who is it that when you see their face, you just get tight? If you're following Jesus, Not that you'll suddenly feel like, I just want to hug that person. (laughs) It would freak them out, right? But you will, as a follower of Jesus, be able to make the choice to do good for them, to bless them, to pray for them. It'll be his love. And when people say, how can you do that? You'll say, it's got to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. Because the old me wouldn't have done that. But he's not just raised me to life. He's giving me new life. And the new me, I don't know, I've just, he's helping me forgive. He's helping me love. Here's the second one, forgiveness. Verse 37, um, let's just read verse 37. This is a great verse. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Um, this, This is a tough verse because it requires a kingdom mindset, right? So I read it, and certain words are already jumping off the page to you. This requires a kingdom mindset. We are followers of a king, and he sits on a throne that we are not allowed to occupy. Let me say that again. We serve a risen king, and he sits on a throne that we are not allowed to occupy. If there was ever a verse that a non-Christian will quote to you, it will be the first three words of this one. Do not judge. Right? Right? This will be the one that they'll quote. So let's, let's talk about what that means. Do not judge. If you, got a, you might have a version that has two words. It says judge not. So let me just point this out, okay? We are allowed to judge. Let me give you a couple verses you can jot down. John 7, 24, 1 Corinthians 2, 15. Those are two verses just talk about how we judge, okay, how we're supposed to judge. So let's talk about what does it mean? What's he talking about when he says don't judge, do not judge, judge not? What does that mean exactly? It means that we're not allowed to sit on the throne of judgment. I so wanted to play the clip from Elf right here. You sit on the throne of lies, right? We're not allowed to sit on the throne of judgment. That's the place that God sits. God knows the heart. God judges the heart. Our job is to use discernment as we follow Jesus together. So what Jesus is talking about here is, um, see if you can... When I I describe this person, see if you can picture people in your head. Um, Critical people, fault-finding people, critical spirits. You know people like that? Jesus says, if you're following me, that won't be you. That won't mark you. I know it looks like all of them hated my message and they left. But they're going down to the community table to serve people. It's Easter. It's what Christians do. I love that. They also might not like my message. It's possible too. Just so you know. Because y'all are all like, can we leave too? <laughs> I know how you think. <laughs> I know how you think. All right. So Jesus is talking about critical people. Uh, sometimes um, people in church think that they have the spiritual gift of discouragement. But there's not one. Okay. There's not a spiritual gift of discouragement anywhere in the Bible. And some people like to use that a lot. So what do we need to understand? How do we judge and how do we not judge? So here's where where this falls in. He's talking about forgive and you will be forgiven. Write this down. You can't forgive what you're condemning. You cannot forgive what you're condemning. Because the minute you condemn something... What you've said is, it's beyond forgiveness, and I, as the one who sits on the throne of judgment, have pronounced my judgment on it, or on them. And so you're condemning them. You cannot forgive what you're condemning. So we make judgments like, I'm not sure, and I've said this before, I know you love Jesus. You've said you love Jesus. I'm watching your life. I don't. Can you help me understand because I see this in your life, but I see where you're confessing Jesus and I see in the Bible. I don't know where this goes together. Can you help me understand? There's a way to make judgments and not be judgmental. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Sometimes we're too quick to be judgmental. We're too quick to condemn. Some of you might wonder why you can't seem to get out of the tomb of bitterness and grudges. And it's all because you won't forgive. It's the only reason. It's amazing the power you find when you forgive. Something about, we talked about, some, uh, he rolls the stone away. Something about saying to God, please help me to forgive. Something about that giving of forgiveness gets us out of the tomb. I know. I've been there. I know what it's like to hold that grudge. And it'll kill you. Unforgiveness A grudge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's insane. Some of you this morning, that's the one you need to to let God work in your heart on. You need to learn how to forgive. Forgiveness is your way out of the tomb, so take it. So we're marked by love. We're marked by by forgiveness. And in verse 38, we're marked by generosity. He says, forgive and you will be forgiven. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So guess what happens when we forgive people? We start to give to people. You you can't give if you've not had forgiveness. you got to forgive and then you can give. It's amazing, though, when you forgive people, when you let go of the hurt, when you just say, hey, I'm not going to sit in the throne of judgment over you. God will take care of that, and trust me, he will. I'm just, I'm free to give. How in the world do Christians in other countries serve their enemies? Because they don't condemn their enemies. Because they, they forgive them. How did Jesus, how in the world did he hang on the cross and endure what he endured? Because he said from the cross, Father, forgive them. Because they're a bunch of idiots. I mean, he said, for they don't know what they do, but I think he said, forgive them. And something about forgiving opens us up to then be generous, to give. Followers of Jesus, people who've been raised to life and given new life are marked by generosity. You should be the most generous person where you're employed. We should be the most generous people in the city. We should set the pace In generosity. People should not have to go to Washington, D.C. to try to get help. They should be able to come and knock on the door here. They should be able to go to any church in our county, all 150 so of them, and find what they need. Because Christians should be marked by generosity. That might change the dollar that you were thinking about dropping in those boxes on the way out. And here's why. Because the Bible says that your generosity through us to them results in praise to God. It never says that God will work through your stinginess to us to bring praise. It's our generosity that brings praise to God in the city. Followers of Jesus don't have to try to give more. They always give. And here's why. Because when we, when we give to God, He outgives us. It's crazy. It's, I know it's weird. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What does that look like? It looks like when you have you ever filled a bucket and you want to get as much in that bucket as possible. So you put some in there and then, like, you bang, 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 and it, like, settles down. And you put some more in, you shake it a little bit, and it gets. That's what He's saying. Like, when when you give to God, when you give to God, he wants to give back to you. Generosity. He makes sure that he's getting as much blessing to us as possible. God does not skimp. Do you know skimpers? You know skimpers, right? Skimpers are the people that you're like, hey, can I get some more mashed potatoes? And they just get a little spoon. There you go. Don't you love people that get the big spoon, mashed potatoes? that's not enough. Yeah, I love that, right? We love to eat at their house. There is something you've got to understand this, and, and I, it's, I can't explain it, okay? I cannot explain, because we never give to God in order to get from God. It's just a principle. That when we give, generosity, when we're generous, something about that moves the heart of God. I I'll botch this because I'm thinking this off the top of my head. But I got a birthday card from Parker. And I put it on Instagram. I got a birthday card from Parker. And it just, first of all, it, it really drove home the fact that I was 50. Bless him, Jesus, right? But after all the 50s, there was $50 in this card. And he said, here's $50 to help set another woman free. So I don't know what you feel in that moment but I would give him everything I have. Everything that I have. Because he was generous. And he wasn't just generous. He was generous about a passion on my heart and his mom's. And his giving to that honored me as a father. Do you not want to give to your father? Do you see how insane it is that we would claim to be followers of Jesus and be stingy. Stinginess never moves the heart of God. But I'm telling you, when people begin to give to what moves God's heart, there's nothing he will hold back from you. Nothing. And so don't, don't, I mean, again, don't do the experiment. Well, I'll give and see if I get back. I mean, you can do that if you want to, but I'd rather you spend time in personal devotion with God and ask him to give you the heart that we just described, the heart of a generous person who will give and know that the measure I use, it will be measured back to me because our hearts are generous because we're his followers. Here's number four. Um, I'm going to use the word awareness. If I said the word clueless, what comes to your mind? Like an 80s movie, 90s movie, um, a socially awkward penguin. That's big right now, right? Have you seen that, socially awkward penguin? Um, just people, do you know people that sit, like we say, they have no social skills. Do you know those people? <laughs> Are they sitting next to you now? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know. People that have no, so, like they just go through life and like, you know, maybe, maybe some of you, like spouses feel this way about your spouse, like you're always dropping hints, you're always dropping hints, and then it's not really a hint as much as it's, I'm just telling you, right? And they still don't get it. They're just like, what, what, what? And then there's no choice but to slap them, right? You just got to do something. I mean, it's crazy. Like, people, like, do you just want to grab them and just shake them? Like, are you listening? People that have no awareness. is crazy. We all know people that just lack awareness, and what they are is they are blind. And what Jesus says here, he says that the blind will lead the blind. And what happens if they do that? That they'll both fall into a pit. So we got to be aware of what's going on around us. I think people that pick their noses in the car, these are people that are not aware of their surroundings, right? Because you're like, you're, you're picking your nose in a car with windows <laughs> at a stoplight and i'm next to you. I can see I'm like hey and they're like what's up? <laughs> it's crazy. What? Awareness. People that make out in public, no awareness. Stop. We can see you. You don't have a shield around you. It's crazy. And like awareness. Here's some things we need to be aware of as followers of Jesus so that we won't be the blind leading the blind. We need to be aware of our sin. Not in a condemning way again because we're not condemning each other, but we need to be aware that we are sinful. Easter happened because of sin, Christmas happened because of sin. We blew it, and He had to step into our world to save us. We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of our blind spots. Man, we need people in our lives to point out our blind spots. We need to be aware of our influencers. Jesus says here, like, when the student is fully developed, he will be like his teacher. You will be like your teacher. You will be like the podcast you spend time listening to. You will be like the show that you watch on TV all the time. It's cute at first when you can quote every line, but at some point, what they believe becomes what you believe. We will become who influences us. We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of our need to lead ourselves before we can lead others. Number five, fruitfulness. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will have a fruitful life. He says that no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. I was um, reading something from um, Mark Triscoll. I love how he put it. He says, we don't want Christians who are duct taping oranges to apple trees. Isn't that what we do? That's, uh, that's a great picture. We just try to make it look good. I don't want to make it look good. I want the good that's coming out of me to be coming from the good that's in me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're my follower, then you will guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. And he says, you'll guard your heart. And because you're guarding your heart, all the good will come out of that. So make the heart good and everything else will be good. Keep the heart bad. And now you're back to the middle school boy with axe, right? You're just covering up the the mess. He doesn't want to cover up the mess. He wants our, our lives to be fruitful, our hearts to be good. And then the last is this. He wraps up the best sermon with a simple truth. He says, do what you know. So our lives are marked by stability. Do you know people that are real up and down? Are you up and down? Jesus said, if you're my follower, your life will be marked by stability. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Man, that's a great question. So we shouldn't say Lord if we're not willing to say yes. I love Jesus. I'm giving everything to Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to do that, right? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not willing to do what I say? He says, if you hear my words and you put them into practice, Then you're like a man who built his house on the rock. Man, I want a good foundation. I don't know about you. I want stability in my life. I want people to look at me and say, that man is stable. He says what he means, and then he does it. I don't want people to look at me and say, where did Paul go? I mean, he preached really good, but like, where did he go? I don't want to be in and out, up and down. One week it's great, I'm so close to Jesus. And the next week I'm like, who's Jesus? And he says, the simple solution to that is obedience. How many times, listen, to this, how many times do we promise God obedience if he'll bless our disobedience first? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, <laughs> got really quiet. <laughs> I'm so close to an illustration that will make you hate me. Maybe I should move on. But how many times do we do that? We ask God, like, God, I, I promise you, I'll be obedient if you'll just bless, this, bless me first while we're disobedient. I'll be a great husband, God. I'll be a great husband. I'll be a God-honoring husband. I will lead my family well. I will pastor my kids if you'll just help me get along with this girl I'm living with first. Bless my disobedience, God, and then I'll give you obedience. He's like, dude, just do what you know. You don't need another sermon. You know what to do. Just do what you know. Just be obedient. Don't ask to learn more if you're not willing to obey more. And so at the end of the day, this whole sermon, Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6, and then we talk about Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's that's what captures it in the Bible. It's, It's not about learning more. It's not about doing more. It's just about being, isn't it? This is who we will be if we follow Jesus. We will do these things because we will be these things. And Easter is the time that we embrace starting over, fresh, new. This is the perfect time to begin again, to let God make all things new. And here's why. Your big idea is this because Jesus doesn't just raise us to life. He gives us new life. We just close your eyes and by your head. This morning I just want to give you the chance to begin again. I know we could have all kinds of conversations about what it means to follow Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is simply this that you and I are sinners in need of a merciful God. In need of somebody to step in and pay the price for our sins. We could not pay it. It is a debt that we cannot pay. And Easter weekend is when we celebrate the fact that God sent his son to die on the cross for those sins. To pay the price for those sins. That he was in a tomb and that he overcame death by being raised to life. And on the resurrection morning, God stamped with his stamp of approval. He validated what Jesus did on the cross. By raising him from the dead. And that means that this morning, you and I, whether we've been following Jesus for a long time and need to start new this morning, or we've never followed Jesus, it means this it means that this morning there is power in this place for you to begin again. Jesus can make all things new, He does make all things new. And He is not about just raising you to life for one Sunday out of the year. He wants to give you new life so that you can live a new life every day of the year. So this morning, I want to ask you first, are you here? You've never never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've never decided, I'm, I'm giving myself to Christ. I'm trusting what he did on the cross. And this morning, I need that. I have jacked my life up. I am in a tomb. I have done everything I can to get out, and I cannot get out. And he has moved that stone away, and this morning I see that he has made it possible for me to have life in him. And I want want that. I want you to just raise your hand right now, put it up in the air, and say, that's me. That's what I desire this morning. You're here. You've never made that decision. And this morning you want to make a decision to follow Christ. Put your hand right up, and you put it right back down. Let me talk to the Christians who were in the room. All these things, these six areas that we've talked about. I can guarantee you as we've talked through them, one or two of those has stood out to you and that's the Holy Spirit convicting you of those areas. And what he's doing and he's so good at this is he's saying, hey, you're my child but you are locked up in a tomb and I want to move the stone so you can come out. I want to give you love. I want to give you forgiveness. I want to give you generosity. I want to give you awareness. I want to give you fruitfulness and I want you to be stable. I want these things for you because this is the new life I've called you to. And there's some areas of the in your life you're not seeing that. And this morning it's it's time for you to come clean and simply say I need a new life in those areas. I need to begin again. If that's you and you're a Christian I just want you to put your hand in the air and say that's me. Quickly put your hand up. Quickly put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you all over the room. Thank you. We're just going to sing a little bit here at the end. Just kind of seal this moment with God. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to just invite you. If you want, you raise your hand. You want somebody to pray for you, you. Just come on, meet me at the front while we're singing. I would love to pray with you. We've got people here. Uh, Wendy will step out as well. We've got people that will step up. Elders would love to pray with you. We'd love Put our hands on your shoulders and pray that you would experience the freedom this morning that comes on Easter Sunday morning. Because I'm telling you, there's no tomb that can hold you. His promise is that his power can set you free. So God, I just pray right now for these that raise their hands. I thank you for this morning, for this amazing group that's in this place. More than anything, I thank you that you are in this place, that you are a risen king. And that you have overcome the things that want to hold us back. That you're not content to just raise us to life. Dust us off and tell us to try harder. You've actually given us a new life. We can live the way we've just talked about. And it's the life like that that will change Albemarle. It will point 16,007 people to new life in Christ because they will see these marks in us. And so for many of us that raise our hands, we repent now. We just say, God, I've tried. I can't do this on my own. I cannot forgive unless you help me. I cannot be generous unless you move in my heart. I'm tired of my life moving up and down and feeling so shaky. I want you to help me be stable. So God, just as we sing this last chorus together on this Easter Sunday morning, 2016, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to seal this moment with you. And we're going to thank you that this morning you make all things new.